Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm joined in person in my dining room by Matt Fortuna. Uh, we're fresh off Notre Dame's first open practice of training camp. Um, I'm not sure there was a ton to take away from it. It feels more like a team that has some developing that needs to still happen. Yeah, I, I hopped in the car and drove over here today, Pete, obviously to see you, one, yeah. but two, because today was supposed to be the day where we we're going to find out who the starting quarterback was after a, a full open of the media scrimmage. And I, I figured that was doubly true when I think last night, Notre Dame emails, you know, Tommy Reese and offensive players were initially scheduled to speak today to the media and um, Notre Dame replaced that with Brian Kelly, which when that happens, there's usually an announcement of some kind, be it in form of starting quarterback, captains. We got news on both of those today from Brian Kelly, neither of which were actual hardcore answers that we can give our loyal listeners today but um as you said as a couple reporters said while walking out of that practice would be a really weird day to name jack Cohn Notre Dame starting quarterback considering most of the first team reps that we got to see uh were handled by drew pine so uh not terribly surprised brian kelly went the way he did when we finally spoke to him yeah and look it wasn't a day that either jack Cohn or drew pine looked that great honestly um you know when we watched the scrimmage there wasn't a lot of moving the ball up and down the field. Drew Pine threw a couple picks. Um, you know, one was hit Maris Leafau in the face <laughs> on fourth down. Uh, that then he returned for a hypothetical touchdown. So it, um, I don't know. There's just a lot about this team, and this is not a criticism by any stretch. I think it's just a reality of the roster that they have back, the inexperience that they have at some important positions. There and Brian Kelly references before camp started, and then I think we sort of forget about it. But like, they need all four weeks badly. Um, this is just this is one of those teams that is going to probably not only need all of August to develop, it's probably going to need into the season to develop. Which is I think one of the reasons that game at Florida State is just a little bit dicey. Yeah, I don't know if I go dicey just yet, but I agree with everything else you said because, I mean, just, you know, when we're up and they went indoors and outdoors today, so we were either in basically bleachers outside or we were in the balcony concourse overlooking them warming up inside just so the listeners have an understanding of where we're coming from. And you're trying to chart um, everyone on the field for, you know, every formation, every competitive situation. <laughs> and, I mean, you're much well ver- better versed in this than I am. I had a hard time keeping up with defense because there were so many different players playing pretty much at every level of the defense. It's it's going to it's going to be different. I mean, it's hard to like project a starting eleven based off like what we've seen so far. And Brian Kelly said today and has said repeatedly like we're still talking me and Marcus Freeman about you know, how do we get our best eleven guys out there almost independent independent of position. Um, but yeah, there were times today where you know, I thought. The first team defense, at least as it was presented to us, looked better than the first team offense. Yeah. And when the second teamers came on, it looked like the offense had their way. And we still don't know who's going to be starting and sitting on each of those respective uh, units come three weeks from now. So still a lot of questions about to, to learn about this team. And, I, I mean, the fact that the starting defense was better than the offense 
has to include Blake Fisher out for concussion right. protocol, but Myron Tonga-Vailoa most also not there following the, the death of his father. He's home in Hawaii. Uh, so it's if you added both those guys in, I think that were only the defense. Each other out. Yeah. I think the defense would actually be further ahead than oh, it yeah. already was. Um, so that that was a little surprising to me. I I thought that, you know, one part of the defense that I watched a little bit was like, were they going to be able to get something from Jordan Botello or Isaiah Foskey? And I thought Notre Dame's offensive line did a pretty good job on both of them. Um, you know, to the point Foskey was sort of getting pleaded with from Mike Elston about like, come on, we, we need something from you. So that, you know, Kane Madden was running with the first team, which was not something we saw on Saturday. This was an eventuality. Um, you know, Kevin Austin was running with the first team, which was not something we saw on Saturday. Again, that was just a matter of time. Um, but uh, even if the offense was not great, the development of Kevin Austin to flash a little bit uh, is a real positive because if you can get him and then Braden Lindsay did some good things today too, where he sort of, I think it was over Clarence Lewis, where he just sort of like jumped over him um, and made a physical one-on-one catch and, and scored on it. Also was kind of giving Brian Kelly some crap and taking it, um, which is, but it's just like, you don't get to do that if you're not producing. Um, the, the head coach doesn't want to mess around with you that way uh, unless he knows that you're good. So I, I thought that, you know, even if the offense on the first team didn't look that great, um, there were some I thought, positive signs at the receiver position, which they need badly. Yeah, that was about as jovial of a Brian, as a practice in post-practice, Brian Kelly, as I can remember seeing, just hands-on, joking with the players. Him and Brady Lindsay went at it back and forth a little bit in, in, in good nature. And Brian Kelly talked a lot about him afterward and how it's all clicking for him mentally, physically. Um, there don't seem to be any, any hiccups there. Kevin Austin, you mentioned. And I think he mentioned Joe Wilkins as well under the, the what was the word, transformational. Yes. Um, it, it, just what this receiver group can be. He has read, he said all of our angry emails. They're probably our listeners' angry emails. Downfield passing, downfield passing, downfield passing. It's definitely in our mentions. That's definitely in our mentions, that's for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, they took some shots, at least when, when we were watching them today. I mean, they, they, they seeing Brady Lindsay go up and take away, essentially, a pick was, was something that I'm not sure we would have seen at this time a year ago from him. So maybe you feel a little bit better about that posi- position core um, as you move forward. But, um, you know, we, we're still – not to keep Harvey on the quarterbacks. The way – Brian Kelly, it sound, sounded like he almost – Basically, Jack owned their starting quarterback without being ready to put that distinction th- on just yet. He basically said that on Saturday <laughs> and then kind of repeated it today, but the emphasis was maybe a little bit off. Um, you know, but it was like we said, like this today, you can't name the starter today if it's Jack Cohn when you have Drew Pine take the starter's reps in practice. That just doesn't make any sense. Um, but I, it was, I don't know, I, I guess I. I thought that I would see a little bit more from our amateur eyes, like a separation between the two of them. And the separation of quarterback, I thought more was between Buckner and then Cohn and Pine together. Um, I, did, I couldn't sit there and tell you, like, oh, Jack Cohn just mm-hmm. absolutely outperformed Drew Pine today. That was, but I, you know, based on everything you hear when you talk to people in the Goog or even you sort of parse Brian Kelly's comments, it does. Feels like it's moving that way, but like we just haven't seen evidence ourselves. No, and he he said we're really, really close. We'll have it for you early next week. And I, I'm trying to remember how this has been handled in the past years. It's been so long because Ian Book was there for so long. Like 
I feel like, you know, he, he obviously tells those guys or at least implies it to those guys before he tells us. I don't remember there being – can you remember any grand, like, proclamation or announcement? I mean, think, think about it. We all knew Wimbush was the guy. We all knew Book was the guy when he became the guy. You got to go back. Golson, excuse me, Kaiser was Kaiser. was a, a shit show. Like right. I mean, <laughs> there was no way to. I remember that just like sort of spilled out in the Google Auditorium. It was almost like we he had just been worn down by our questions about it. It was like, fine, we'll just play both of them. And everyone was like, sure, oh, like great idea. Okay, no. Um, so it's I can't see them going back to that. Uh, but it's just like everything you hear about Jack Cohn and how he picks up the offense, how he can stretch the field vertically, which again. The references Brian Kelly has made to Jack Cohn's leadership, to his physical ability being even more than what they thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, today he said arm strength and mobility, both better than maybe what they thought would have shown on Wisconsin tape. It all, it, it can only get you to Jack Cohn is the starting quarterback at Notre Dame. I mean, he talked about his experience on Saturday, what a factor that is. Well, if Jack Cohn has 18 starts and Drew Pine has zero, like I, I don't know how you could come to another decision just parsing out what Brian Kelly has said over the last week. No, I, I don't either. Um, the one part with, with Buckner, the, at least the one thing I noticed that was different about the offense when he was involved is there were more, and I would even call them design runs, but they ran the ball more with the right. quarterback then, which uh, our, our friend Tim Priester had asked Brian Kelly about this afterward. Like, are you ready to prepare a package, a run quarterback running package specific to him yet? Is that something that could be on the table this this season? And Frank Kelly didn't sound comfortable going there just yet. I mean, especially with a true freshman, um, it sounded like that's something that he could certainly play down the line. Um, but he wasn't ready to go there just yet. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, it's just <laughs> – you do wonder, like, what would change between now and the beginning of next week as far as, like, all right, he's our guy. We got it settled now. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I still believe that this has largely been talked about, or at the very least understood. I mean, you bring in a grad transfer, it's understood what he's here to do. And by all accounts, he has done nothing to screw up since he got to Notre Dame. So I naturally assume that he'll be the starting quarterback. Um, Captains as well are coming, I guess, to Eastern time on Friday. It sounds like yes. that was a social media kind you, of you got to get thing. your videos together. Yeah. I mean, if it doesn't happen, if you don't have a social media hit for it. But, yeah, it's – I mean – in to, you know, in all seriousness, I would assume that Myron Tagovailoa most would be I, one of the captains. That did cross my mind. So, I mean, you have to be respectful of that as well. But like, you know, him. Beyond that, you know, probably probably Kurt Heinisch, Kyle Hamilton, Cohn maybe. Cohn would be a surprise to me. You'd have Patterson and Kyron Williams, I think, on offense. Yeah. Before you would have Cohn, but it, when's the time? When's the last time you went that young with Kyron? I mean, a redshirt sophomore. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, he is not. He's only had one season of action. It just again, it's one of those things where like the coaching staff values Kyron Williams' attitude and personality sure. so much in the locker room. You would think like that there is natural leadership there. So there, are, I think there are a solid five or six. Cone would be a surprise as a seventh, just because they don't usually go that well. Or you know, if they did like a, a Lindsey or a Wilkins at receiver. It, Avery Davis. I mean, he's quiet, but in some ways, it's kind of a career achievement award (laughs) for those guys. Um, So yeah, that will be on Friday afternoon. It's you know, I asked Brian Kelly about leadership on Saturday, and you know, he he brought up Cone. Um, He he sort of brought up how it's a pretty mature group. Which again, like, what else would he say? But I thought it was interesting when he compared and contrasted it to last year. We said you know, last year. With all the COVID distractions, they managed that mm-hmm. 
very, very well, even with the shutdown. He's any, but any reference like this team, I don't know. Not saying that they would have handled it poorly, but he just he doesn't have the confidence that uh, quite yet in terms of overcoming adversity and staying locked in. So that, I mean, that will be interesting. I, I do think it's not it's not a team with dominant personalities at the top. I mean, there's no McGlinchey Nelson. There's no sort of book. Eichenberg, um, Kyron's on, off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, and, he's a, out and he's a younger guy, right? Like, um, you know, even Dalen Hayes, while he didn't play a ton before his final year, was somebody that was, was well-respected. Heinish, I mean, you mentioned him as captain, but that, yeah. that's another big personality that I think of. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, I mean, I think that's all That's all part of it. It's just, I think this team is, is going to come together more slowly than the coaches probably would like in an ideal world. Um, but that's just the nature of this roster. It's, it turned over so much um, that there's not, they need all this time to develop it. I mean, it just feels like a, a, this is a, a team that needs to cook for a little bit longer. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search the Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. In that same vein, were you surprised to see them rank seventh in the preseason coaches poll? Yes, um, I guess somebody has to be seventh, uh, but and like why not Notre Dame? But there's this to me. This still feels kind of like a, a ten and two, maybe a nine and three, but more likely a ten and two kind of team. That's um, usually good enough for seventh. That about seventh, <laughs> um, yeah. Just sit in. You know, we talked about this on our podcast probably the last two years. It's just like there's a three, three or four teams at the top, and then Notre Dame. Like, who's to say they're not first mm-hmm. in the second group? They're they're certainly still in the second group, um, but you know, are, are they the fifth, sixth, seventh, or are they the ninth, tenth, eleventh? Does it make a difference? I don't really know. Um, but I was surprised that they were seventh. I was surprised, and then I had to fill out my ballot for the uh, FWA Super 16 preseason poll this week, and I put them seventh. Like, it wasn't like it was a subconscious decision yeah. of, like, all right, I have so and so at six, I have to have someone at seven. And I, I mean, honestly, I, I could have made a compelling argument for Notre Dame to be even higher than that when you actually look at, you know, the other options there. I mean, I know th- their polls, like, especially now. In the playoff era, like they're good for nothing other than getting people mad and having us argue about things. But in order for someone not to be seven, someone else has to be in that place. And I, I can't make a compelling case right now for uh, a whole lot of teams other than Notre Dame in that spot right now. So I was surprised when I saw it. But but as always, when you actually sit down and look at it, it starts to make sense. Um, the one, sorry, did you want to add to that? No, it's, uh, again, it's just like it's you got what Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Georgia. yeah. And A and M, I think A and M was sixth in the coaches. Right, and they, I mean they have their own turnover yeah. issues at A and M, right? Like after those five, LSU, Notre Dame, A and M, Florida, Florida, 
um, Penn I, State. I had Wisconsin, Cincinnati pretty high. Yeah. Um, Iowa State, I think, was top 10 this year, which, look, I, they got everyone coming back. I get it. Um, I think expectations are a little high for that place. And not that we've ever been guilty of that on this podcast, but uh, did, did not mean to, to, to go down that road. We were just talking about top 10, but um, I, you can't rank, like, yeah, you can't, some of those teams you just can't rank over Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Look, look what Florida showed with what their roster is probably going to be this year. Um, in the, the Sugar Bowl last year against Oklahoma. Yeah, like, at just, some point, there has to be value in a team figuring out how to win games. Right. Like, Notre Dame has figured that out, and the other schools that, you know, were rattling off here. A&M maybe figured it out last year. Florida, if you lose a game by throwing a shoe, I would say that you have not figured it out. <laughs> that too, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So it's, you know, Notre Dame doesn't beat itself anymore. I, even if they're not a, a, a playoff I guess you have to say they're a playoff contender if they're seventh, but like yeah. not a team that I would put in my four. But still, they're not. They're also not a team that's going to go out and screw up their own opportunity. If they get beat, it's because they just weren't good enough, opposed right. to them making mistakes and that dragging the whole operation down. Right. And if they were in a conference, like you could still throw them out there as a playoff. Like you wouldn't sound crazy right now by saying, "Yeah, I think this could be a playoff team by the end of the year." I just think the nature of independence. You well, probably like, got to go. What if they were in the ACC on the other and the opposite side from Clemson? I would have no problem putting them in the ACC championship game. <laughs> right in the coastal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are a lot of teams not in the coastal. Yeah. I think we go there from day one and be number one. Yeah, they're playing the best one of them this year. Yeah, North I mean, they have North Carolina coming here, and Notre Dame will be favored in that game. So it's. I think it's it's reasonable. It's just like. I we're, I'm sure you do a lot of these too. You do these radio hits or TV hits, and they ask you like, "Oh, is Notre Dame going to take a step back this year?" I'm like, "Well, yeah, they are going to take a step. Back. They're going to lose a regular probably, season game, probably to <laughs> probably all the way to ten and two. Yeah, um, which what, what, their final record last year, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like this is this is the step back that Notre Dame is going to take, and that's okay. Like, I don't I don't think anyone around Notre Dame sort of views themselves as like have to be Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, like it's the playoff where your entire season should be flushed down the tubes. And like, you know, we're out there watching practice. You can see it's not like they've got um, the next Kyle Hamilton, the next Michael Mayer running around on the roster. Um, So it's not, I don't know if it's an overwhelmingly deep team. They've got a bunch of good players, but it's, I don't know. it, It just seems like a very good team that, its ceiling is a very good team, and its floor is a very good right. team. It's just going to be very good. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to put them in the category of Ohio State because Ohio State's coming off a better year. But, like, I was talking to someone, a coach in the Big Ten East this past week, and he said, I bet you every single team in our division is going to be better than we were last year except for Ohio State, and Ohio State's still going to be better than, than all of us. <laughs> and Yeah. I mean, I could say that, you could say that about Notre Dame and their opponents this year. I mean, obviously, Wisconsin, North Carolina, these are some tough games, but you could easily talk yourself into them on an individual basis, winning every one of those games. I think eventually it'll catch up to you. But I, I think what the Vegas over-under now is nine or nine. I, last I saw was nine. And if it's nine, I'm still betting over on that. I would, too. I think, You're not going to lose money. Yeah, to me, like nine, nine and a half is the appropriate yes. line for Notre Dame just to create action on both sides of it. Um, you know, I, I guess in terms of if there was a surprise today, this is kind of a deeper cut, but like, and Brian Kelly talked about this. Marcus Freeman talked about this. I think they're deeper and probably more talented at linebacker than I would have given them credit for when the season started. Whether it's you know Maris Leofau, Drew White, Bo Bauer, Jack Kaiser, uh, J.D. Bertrand. To me, like those are the five guys that 
I don't know if they've separated themselves, but like they could play and be comfortable playing any of those five. And then, you know, beyond that, whether it be Isaiah Pryor or Shane Simon, I'm not really Paul Mall, I'm not really sure, but they they seem like they have some more pieces. And again, it's like, are there any of those guys great future NFL guys? Probably not. But there's a lot of very good. Like I, I think Notre Dame is blessed with a lot of very good players to support like the Hamilton, Mike Mayer types. Yeah, I think among surprises, J.D. Bertrand, you mentioned, I mean, he was a guy who saw a lot of action with the ones today and who Brian Kelly really singled out as a guy who, like, hey, you know what? He's probably got to be more than just a special teams player for us. we got to yep. get him on the field more, and Marcus Freeman is going to figure that out. I know there are so many questions about secondary coming in. Um, Brian Kelly, I think, did his best, at least today, to try to alleviate those concerns. When he got asked for, quote-unquote, transformational rises on defense, I, mean, I have the list here. Almost every single guy, he said, came from that. Came from the secondary. I mean, Clarence Lewis's body, Tariq Bracey, um, you know, who he basically said was faking until he made it. Um, yeah, the confidence level um, until this season. Uh, Riley Mills, obviously up front. Kyle Hamilton, he said had the best off season um, that that uh, he's had it so far in Notre Dame. And Cam Hart, he threw in at the end as well. Um, they can talk about that on their own podcast, but right here on the Shamrock, we're going to talk about them. Yeah, um, I'm sure on the next episode of Inside the Garage, KJ Wallace will be like, "What about me?" <laughs> um, it's yeah, the Kyle Hamilton being mentioned in that group was a bit odd because we don't think of transformations happening for players well, who are all Americans after yeah. the end of the season. Yeah, it's true. He was hurt most of the season with the ankle and then had surgery, and missed spring practice. So maybe there's something to that. But if they if I think if Brian Kelly could pick, like, all right, I need four guys to have, like, monster off-seasons and change the way I view them. Those The, the four he probably would have chosen would be Lewis and, and Hart. You know, Bracey maybe, and then, like, Lindsey offensively. Maybe Wilkins a little bit too. But, like, those guys on the outside, offensively or defensively, that that's where Notre Dame needs to make the biggest jump. Maybe not. Uh, you know, for week one at Florida State, but the the cornerback position is just that's one spot where Notre Dame does not have college football playoff level ability. Um, so, can they develop it out of guys who are three star prospects? We shall see. Uh, but there's a lot that needs to be developed there. I I don't know if I go that harsh on the quarterback spot just yet. I mean. Like- in a nutshell, yes, but again, like Mac Jones was a wasn't he a three star? No, like, corner. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you said quarterback. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, quarter, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, even in person, I still mishear yeah. him sometimes. <laughs> um, I agree. Corner is the cause for concern coming in to this season. Um, I was talking to someone around the program a couple weeks ago who, who was talk, talking up the secondary, and I said, "Why are you so confident?" He said, "Well, I don't think we're going to be worse than we were last year, and Kyle Hamilton is going to be better." I thought it's one way to look at it, I suppose. That is interesting. Um, Brian Kelly used that term eraser again, which we keep hearing about Kyle Hamilton. But at some point, like, that's a four or five man group back there. You can't just have one guy mm-hmm. clean up the mistakes of others. Um, but, you know, from what we saw out of the first team today, I know it wasn't all from the corners. I mean, you know, they, the first team defense, I thought, had their way um, with the first team offense when they were lined up against each other today. And with all that experience you have up front, and again, you know, MTA was not up there today, but um, I, I just think there's enough experience around on that defense that could, you know, take a little bit of the pressure off those those guys to, to you know, hide them a little bit. It's kind of like 2012 almost a little bit. That was, they had a whole new starting secondary back then, and it didn't really rear its ugly head till well, 
the title game. But. Yeah, no, that's true. Because it's I'm I'm trying to think through that season like until the USC game at the very end when they just threw at Kavari Russell, who was a freshman. Uh, and I think he was trying to guard Marquise Lee at the time. They had like, what, nine? How, yeah. Every pass interference like, in the world. Tackle him. <laughs> We've all sort of covered Notre Dame teams where like there are, there are clear strengths, and this, <laughs> this one has it. You know, I mentioned Mayer, Hamilton, Williams. Um, corner could be a weakness. Certainly I thought it was coming into the season, the way Kelly described it today and what we saw today. Maybe that's maybe that's worth a different evaluation because I mean when we saw the one on in the one on one portion of practice which is tilted towards the receivers, Austin looked very mm-hmm. good. Lindsey looked very good. Um, I'm not sure I would say that the the corner room or the secondary looked that great at all in that drills. But like once the pieces fit together at the end of practice, you know, aside from Kevin Austin, I'm not sure that anyone was really out there making plays against the the first team group. What one very encouraging sign, at least for me, was Brian Kelly throwing out the, the Javon McKinley comparison for Kevin Austin. Not It was for Kevin Austin, right? I think. Because there's another question about Lindsey. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like Austin is often separated out from the, the senior breakout story. It's it's more like the Wilkins, Lindsey, guys who have been around right. and just like having it all clicked for one reason or the other. Like Austin is, to me, his own thing. Um, it's But like... The you know Houston Griffith would fit in the Javon McKinley group. Lindsey uh, Wilkins, those those guys to me are much more Javon McKinley, uh, Jonas Gray potentially. That's where that group, if they can click on those, and like they've they've had a very good hit rate on those. I mean, we got to sort of give Notre Dame some credit for the development where the Asmar Bilal in 2019, um, Javon McKinley last year. Uh, now, but now they need it to be Lindsey Wilkins, Griffith, T.J. Brown. Sort of, um, they, they sort of like can't afford that not to happen. Yeah, and Dexter in twenty eighteen. I mean, yeah, you want to keep going back. That was one that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, let me ask you this: Who on Notre Dame's schedule do you think could actually make them pay in those one on one situations? There are two teams that come to mind for me. But. Yeah, it's. I mean, to me, it's it's USC and North Carolina. Yep. Like. Because those are the matchups where they have the talent on the outside to win, um, and the quarterbacks to get on the, the ball. Like, and North Carolina is certainly not loaded at receiver like they were last year, uh, but and they couldn't protect Sam Howell at all uh, against Notre Dame. But the, those are the kind of matchups to me. And like, look, Florida State is going to have some some guys on the outside. Like they just do. It's Florida, uh, and if Mackenzie Milton is as good as what Florida State hopes that he is, like. He will be another one of those quarterbacks who can get the ball where it needs to go. So it's just like to me, it's a matchups game. Like, is Notre Dame better than North Carolina? Is Notre Dame better than USC? Yeah, I think they're they're better than both. But like, if the matchups go bad uh, and your quarterback position is struggling, like Marcus Freeman talked about this on Tuesday about like we're going to play a lot of man. Well, if they start hitting deep balls on us. Like, we got to find somebody else to put in there to play man. Um, you're going to get beat. Like Tariq Bracy has lived that. Um, and they had somebody just as good or, or better in Clarence Lewis last year to to take him out. I'm not I'm not sure who the next Clarence Lewis is. Like, is it Ramon Henderson? I mean, he had a he did not do a lot today and like got a PI flag that I think Brian Kelly jumped on him a little bit for. But it's not a um, man. I, the there's the there's a talent question at corner, which I think. Maybe is I look at more favorably after today, but there's the depth question at corner, and that to me is sort of unchanged as a question. 
going through my notes, but it was Lindsay that he compared to McKinley. So okay. Kevin Austin is his own separate um, entity, as you stated. Um, with you on the corners, with you on the linebackers, because I think that's a deeper group than, than we thought it was, and we all know about the defensive line at this point. I just um, I came out today. <laughs> this isn't a negative perception, but I definitely came out today with a lot more questions than answers, at least based on my preconceived notions coming in. Like I did not. I don't know what I learned today. You know, seeing a first full. So the first full Notre Dame practice I've seen. Well, either of us, I guess, probably have seen. March 5th. Since, yeah, the last time I – well, no, I saw you since then. But last time I was in town, like right before yeah. um, everything hit back in 2020, it was the one and only spring practice for Notre Dame. So It was just like was, a weird practice in that way. And like I just – we talked about this at the top of the show. Like it, Notre Dame just needs more time to figure out what Notre Dame is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, again, on August 12th, that's fine. On August 22nd, it's not. On August 31st, like, that's bad news. But for now, it's okay. It was just, like, usually we go into these open practices and you come away with, like, I learned A, B, C, and D. I'll handle that three like, picks and yeah, this one, yeah. Or, like, this position is a disaster or, wow, they're doing something new here. And, like, this felt just a lot more tempered and low-key uh, in terms of any of that. Like, the, I mean... One of the guys who impressed me the most today was J.D. Bertrand, who's probably a backup middle linebacker. Like, that's not a really hot uh, practice observation, but that was kind of what passed for, like, Logan Diggs was really good today. He's probably the fourth running back. Um, that's not going to make a difference in the fall. So, it, yeah, just like I think Notre Dame has a lot of work still to get done here, and that's, again, it's okay, but you, you definitely – would not come out of today's practice saying like uh, I know what Notre Dame football is going to be in 2021 because I'm not sure we saw a whole lot of it today. Great, completely, and I think one of the first things Brian Kelly said that to your point, like, we haven't faced any adversity. Like yeah. these guys just don't know yet, which means we don't know about them. Last year you had a veteran group, you had the off season from hell that everybody had to go through, but you came out of that in one piece and felt really good about the direction and leadership of that team. That's um, so it'll be interesting with you know whomever the captains are, and we have a good idea of, you know, who will make up that group come Friday. Um, what's their leadership style? How do they go about leading? I think Notre Dame has had it really, really good in that department really since 2016 that you kind of take for granted mm-hmm. um, just how much that matters. If you have a locker room that completes itself and you have guys who are going to get in other guys' faces and enforce it, um, that's going to matter. I mean, it's... It yeah, matters. and I, I mean, I think one aspect of that, like the 2016 group, I think the captains were like, was like Isaac Rochelle, James Onowalu, Hunter, Tory Hunter, and McGlinchey. And McGlinchey. And to me, it wasn't necessarily like they had bad captains that year. <laughs> they had bad followers. Like it wasn't a good locker room in terms of like following. They had no quarterback. Yeah. I mean, they had two quarterback. Whatever. Like yeah. you have two, you have none. Like, they, they didn't have a, a locker room that could take direction and follow. And I. That's not the case anymore. Like, I was talking to the player of a parent driving out of practice, and he was saying, like, his son was imparting to him, like, his son plays a really competitive position where they could play five or six guys. And he said, there's not any, like, backbiting, no, like, internal rivalries. Like, the entire position group really gets along. I don't think we would have said that in 2016. Um, so, like, the captains on this team might not be demonstrative or, like, big personalities. Um, but I just think that it's a, it's a roster from 1 to 85 that, like, knows how to take direction now. Um, and that's that will sort of solve the leadership problem. Because, like, if you have good leaders, 
great. If you have good followers, then like that sort of completes itself, like you said. So I, I feel like that's this team will deal with adversity. We don't really know how they're going to respond to it, as Brian Kelly referenced, but it should be in a situation where like there's enough people who have played football and seen it that they should be able to get to the other side of it. Even if those players played football somewhere else, like Jack Conan came at him, or like you're like Braden Lindsay and Kevin Austin, you just had to really watch for the last two, three years. You should you should know how it's done. Yeah, I mean, I remember the, the, the defining anecdote that I'll remember from 2016 is talking to someone in the program who said, Matt, look at, like, I love all of our players. I love all of our leaders of death. And this statement didn't completely hold up well because Mike McGlinchey obviously became a much bigger president of the locker room. He goes, look at, look at our captains. Each one is quieter than the next. Mm. He goes, last year, Joe Schmidt pulled everyone aside at the end of a random training camp practice and said, oh, I want all of you to pledge right now. We're not going to go out on Thursday nights this year because we got a special team where we're not going to screw it up by socializing. And, like, that's just something that just comes from within um, that you either have or you don't. And I'm sure there are people like that on this roster. We just haven't seen them in the public eye yet. Yeah, I mean, that's, certainly you knew Joe Schmidt would have said that before he said it. I'm not – like, if, if I had said that player X said gave that same speech, I'm not sure who I would have guessed. You know, that that and that is a difference. Like, at some point you can't just follow. You have to have guys who lead. Um, and I'm not – not sure who that dominant personality is yet. I wonder if that will be something that shows a little bit over the course of the next three, three and a half weeks. Yeah, Kyron and Kurt are the two I keep coming back to. That yeah. At least to the public eye really jump out at me. You can notice I, I wonder if watch them on But TV. doesn't like Kurt want to go out on Thursday nights? Like, I, <laughs> uh, But yeah, it's just like, it's those guys, I think, are, yeah, they are big personalities. Um, so you, like, I don't know, you, you just got to figure out a different way to do that. Um, if you're going to sort of drag people along and, and get people sort of like locked in a different way, that I'm not really sure where you go with that. No, me neither. That's one of many um, important. I want to say it's not important because it's very important, but that's one of like several questions I think we still have to learn about this team in the next couple of weeks. They have what two or three more full practices open to us. One more, more full, full? Oh, practice, okay, and then we, I believe there's three more where we get sort of a 30-minute viewing, so you sort of take attendance and then get out of there. Um, you know, we get Marcus Freeman again next week, I believe, and we Tuesday, get Tommy yeah. Reese twice. Um, so it's like we'll be around them quite a bit. And like for how much they don't try to give away a lot in interviews, you do get a sense of like, what feels good to them and what doesn't. Um, you know, Marcus, you could tell on Tuesday, was like, the linebacker group feels good to me. Corner, we'll see. Um, so there's there's just a lot more development that has to happen between now and by the time they go down to Florida State. That is totally okay. Uh, but as Brian Kelly referenced last weekend, he's had teams where, all right, we get one training camp practice, no problem. You know, in the same way they got one spring practice, no problem. They figure out how to make it work. I'm not sure that they could just snap their fingers and make it work with this group. I'm not either. Although he, he just projects so much more calm. Maybe it's the product of this being his 12th rodeo here, but yeah, he just seems so much in such a good place, so much more calm and, and ready to handle whatever may come his way with this group, which we're still trying to figure out. But uh, I think he's yes. still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I think we all are. But, yeah. Uh, think we will have, be able to talk about starting quarterback Jack Cohn next time we record. Probably. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think if, if we can't, something has gone awry. Uh, Cause that is that <laughs> a announcement not happening before our next podcast would not qualify as really, really soon as Brian Kelly had referenced with the starting quarterback. So it's 
they will move forward. Uh, and I, I do think that's like, in some ways, I, the questions that we thought were going to get answered today probably will get answered on Thursday, in addition to other questions um, that may have come up today. So that's, it. I, I feel like the next practice is kind of, it, that will be sort of the end of quote-unquote training camp. Like mm-hmm. the school year will be starting. You have to get some stuff answered. I just thought that more of it would have been answered by today in the sense that like, Marcus Freeman even mentioned this on Tuesday. It's like practice five. We're not splitting reps over here. Like if you if you can play, you're in. If you can't, you're not. Um, so those decisions will have to be made a little bit more. And I think we'll sort of see them in terms of who's working where and how much next week. Looking forward to it. I will probably see your beautiful face on the other end of a Zoom screen next time we do this. Although I, I'll be back here next week at least one day. So maybe if they announce it on Tuesday, we can we can come back here. Uh, if you're wonderful. <laughs> Missing family will allow us. To yeah, back uh, a big shout out to my mom for watching my daughter and our neighbor Chad for watching my son. Both avid Shamrock listeners. So your takeaway should be: if you listen to this podcast, I will trust my kids too. There you go. And I get to see the, the Sinatra album. I guess I don't want to spoil it. This is, no one sees us when we record this, but Pete has a very cool background and get a chance to actually see his uh, Frank Sinatra uh, framed uh, album cover collection up close. Is uh, Warms my Italian heart. (laughs) Excellent. Well, that's it for this episode of The Shamrock following Notre Dame's open practice. We'll be back next week. Should have a starting quarterback to talk about. Should have captains to talk about. Um, You know, we'll see if maybe there's a starting offensive line to talk about by then. But as we were saying at the top, Notre Dame's got a ton of questions to to answer. And for now, they still have a ton of time to get there. But should be a very eventful uh, August for Notre Dame, and we will be covering it here on The Athletic as well as The Shamrock. So we will talk to you next week. Thank you.